We're continuing through uh, the book of Proverbs, and uh, this is the fifth week. I want to talk about righteousness and how it exalts a nation this morning. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a patriotic family. Uh, I decorated my bicycle and rode in the parade as a child. Uh, I remember uh, our community had a big celebration for July 4th every year. I'd go down to the park and we would uh, have all kinds of games. It was a wonderful time to get together. And then in the evening, everybody would get together at Firestone Park and we would watch the fireworks celebration together. It really was an awesome time. I remember Memorial Day, we'd have a parade and we'd go to the, you know, we'd go down to the cemetery and listen to the names read off of the veterans of foreign war and those who'd passed away. I love patriotic music. I love this holiday. I love patriotic movies. Uh, I love just the whole red, white, and blue theme and everything about it. Having pastored now for over 30 years, um, I've just... Over the course of time, we've had patriotic Sundays, time where we did all kinds of celebrations with special music and fun celebrations. But in the last several years, it seems as if being patriotic has become unpopular, uh, at least in the church. I don't want to get too far into the details of what's now known as the Christian nationalism debate, but I think we need to be careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there needs to be a balance between being patriotic and being a Christian nationalist. I don't think it's unbiblical to love your country, and I don't believe it's unbiblical to demonstrate your patriotism. I think it's a good thing. For those who've never heard of Christian nationalism before, it's the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Christian nationalists assert that America is and must remain a quote-unquote Christian nation, not merely as an observation about American history, but a prescriptive program for what America should do and be like in the future. So as you can imagine, uh, in our culture today, there is spirited debate about this topic. Uh, And there are people in the big C church around America that get pretty worked up about this. But I'll just tell you, for me, I love our country. And I would love to see a resurgence of patriotism amongst the people uh, in the church and outside of the church. So for our time together today, we're going to look at Proverbs and see what, what Proverbs says about God's activity in the nations. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. The scripture says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we do pray. We pray for our country. God, I pray that we would come together. Uh, Father, that we would embrace the ideals upon which this country was formed. Father, that we would We would be a people that would overcome our differences and come together to be a force of good, not only in our country, but for the world. Fathers, we open your word today. I pray that you speak to us, speak through me. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just guide our discussion today, and Lord, may it bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, the values of a nation are never neutral. They either conform to God's character, or they don't. Righteousness is not accidental. 
when the majority of people in a nation purpose in their hearts to know God and to walk in his will, then that nation will reflect righteousness and I believe be morally strong. When leaders and citizens choose righteousness, the nation is lifted up and reflects the highest and best of mankind. But sin, as the text says, destroys a nation. And it typically does so from the inside out through arrogance and pride and selfishness and greed and ultimately hatred. The psalmist said this, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You know, the blessing and prosperity of Israel was dependent upon their obedience to God's word. If they feared God and walked in his truth, then he blessed them. If they turned away from God and lived in perpetual sin, well, then they were cursed. The cursing of God's children of Israel uh, usually came in stages. I mean, it usually started with uh, you know, a decaying social life. The morals continued to drive down. It eventually led to the destruction of crops and then famine, military defeat, and then eventually to their total destruction if they failed to humble themselves before the Lord. Our lesson from that is that each new generation must choose God and his will for a nation. Because the truth is we are only one generation away from success or failure, from being righteous or from being sinful. The psalmist goes on to say in Psalm 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I think we must confess that there are some concerns about the spiritual health of our, our nation right now. We're living at a time when our conduct is being governed not by the moral laws of God, but by the popular culture of our day. It seems as if our moral code is determined by what is right in the eyes of man, not in the eyes of God or in his word. If we as a country stray from the righteous laws of God, then there is no ultimate basis for ethics. And as a result, there's no moral absolutes. On July 4th, 1776, there was signed in the city of Philadelphia the Declaration of Independence. And it, bar it marked the birth of this country, this great nation, one nation under God. It was to be a beacon of hope and has been to countless millions of people over the years. When we talk about our independence, what is often forgot about our founding documents is that the same document that declared our independence from Great Britain is at the same time declared our dependence upon Almighty God. The Declaration of Independence reads this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then when you get to the end of the Declaration of Independence, it closes with these solemn words, you know, and it's really something we must remember, that it's not just a declaration of independence from Great Britain, it's a declaration of our dependence upon God. And it says this at the very end, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, 
we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honors. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. What is that? What, what, what were they saying? Well, that's, that's dependence. That's our dependence on God. We as an American people, we say we place our dependence on almighty God and we assert our independence from Great Britain. So at the time that they signed this declaration, the cannons fired and the fireworks filled the skies, the bells chimed, and in Independence Hall, there in the steeple of the old state house, the Liberty Bell rang. And on that Liberty Bell, you could read the verse from Leviticus 25.10 that says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. You know, it was James Madison who said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked our future upon the capacity of each of us to govern ourselves and sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. James Madison was an architect of the Constitution. He was also the fourth president of the United States. But we're living now in the shadows of a bygone age, a time when our founding fathers held firmly to their faith in God, I feel that we are now the beneficiaries of the residual blessings of their righteousness, and yet the liberties that they fought for to acquire and to preserve, you know, they're rapidly eroding in our generation. If the righteous retreat, then the wicked systematically take over the country, and it's only a matter of time before we find ourselves in bondage. Solomon said it like this in Proverbs, Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. You know, historically, Christians have been a positive influence in the society by promoting law and by being charitable to the people. Christians have built schools, and hospitals, and orphanages. They've helped other organizations that lift up man. They've fed the hungry. They've cared for the sick. They've housed the homeless. They've provided for widows and orphans. They've visited the prisons, presented gospel to the prisoners. Christians have been the ones that promoted art and literature and music and science. But now it seems as if society says to the church, Stay in your lane. You can do whatever you want as long as it's inside the four walls of your church. But stay out of the public realm. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, if you're like me, you want what's best for this great country. And it's not enough to just stand back and shake our head and talk about how good it was back in the good old days. It's one thing to point out the problems. It's quite another to be a part of the solution. So Solomon gives us some great advice in the book of Proverbs that I think really apply to our current state of affairs. So let me give you just three things that you and I can do to begin making a difference. You know, it was Edmund Burke who uttered the famous quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Well, doing nothing is not an option. So what do we do? Well, first, we live a righteous life, even if culture stands against you. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. 
I think we need to stop moaning and groaning and start putting our faith in God into action. Solomon said that the righteous need to thrive. Could you imagine what would happen in America if the Church of America was thriving? You know, that used to be the case. From 1740 to 1770, there was a great revival sweeping across America. It was called the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards was preaching. George Whitfield was preaching. There were many other great preachers out there fanning the flame of righteousness. The Great Awakening was a righteous revival. It was a rejuvenation of both personal and corporate religious concerns and interests. This awakening of righteousness took place in at least three of the major epicenters of the British North America, uh, New England, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. But what started as simply a religious movement soon turned into political upheaval. Out of that fiery movement, a declaration of independence was created so that we could separate from Great Britain, and we declared our dependence upon Almighty God. Many of the early colonists had come to the New World to enjoy religious freedom. But as the land became tamed and prosperous, they no longer relied upon God for their daily bread. Wealth led to complacency toward God's. And as a result, even back in the 1700s, church attendance began to decline. In fact, many preachers that came over across the seas, they were shocked to find the deadness of the church. The people had come to a new land for religious freedom, and now here they were more inclined with wealth and prosperity, and they had grown spiritually cold. So these early preachers hit their knees and then the streets, and they took the gospel to the people. And the Spirit of God awoke as though from an intense slumber and began to touch the populations in our early colonies. People from all walks of life, from the poor farmers to the merchants, they began to experience a renewal, a rebirth, if you will. On the night of July 8th, 1741, in Enfield, Connecticut, Jonathan Edwards stood in the pulpit and preached his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And a great commotion came over the people, and, and reports of that night say that people were wailing and crying and screeching loudly, so much so that on several occasions during the message, he had to ask people to calm down so he could finish the message. And as a result of his preaching and the work of the Holy Spirit, lives began to change. Complete towns were transformed. Edwards was one of the great preachers of this, of this era, but there was another, perhaps even more influential and famous evangelist. His name was George Whitfield. He was born in England, educated at Oxford. He was friends with John and Charles Wesley. During his life, he made several trips to the new colonies, and it's said that he preached over 18,000 sermons. The Great Awakening in America happened between the 1930s and the 1940s, and there were tremendous results. The number of people in the church multiplied. The lives of the converted manifested true Christian piety. Denominational barriers broke down as Christians from all persuasions worked together in the cause of the gospel. There was a renewed concern for missions. They even began to work with the Indians. 
More and more men prepared for service as Christian ministers and missionaries. And the concern for education grew. And so out of this movement, Princeton and Rutgers and Brown and Dartmouth were all established as a direct result of this great awakening. In these schools, principles were taught. Character became very strong. And as a result, a nation was born. Out of that, a declaration of independence from Great Britain and a dependence upon Almighty God was put into the bosom of our founding fathers. Not only did the Great Awakening unite the colonies religiously, but also politically. After being freed from sin, the colonists sought freedom from tyrants. The motto of the Revolutionary War was, No king but King Jesus. And the rest is, as they say, history. Now I give you this brief lesson to remind you of what can happen when the righteous thrive. The second thing you and I can do to make a difference in our nation is to get involved, even if we must stand alone. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Get involved. Be committed. I think if we want to see a great awakening in our country, we need to commit ourselves to making a difference in our community. In the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? Matthew 5, 13, he says, You, talking to the church, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people, put a, built a, you know, people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. My friends, that is our call of the day. If we want to see change in our country, then we have to get involved we have to be willing to be part of the solution, not just cursing the darkness, but being out there to be the light, to be the salt, to be the influence that makes a difference. You may find it to be difficult to do it all alone, but that's okay. You may be the only one in your workplace who maintains Christian values. You may be the only guy in your team that values your marriage. You may be the only person in your group of friends who wants to do that which is right. And if that's the case, then that's okay. Stand for God anyhow. Be a righteous person. Be like Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow the knee to King Nebuchadnezzar. When everyone else bowed down, they stood up for that which was right. Be like Elijah, who stood all alone when he was confronted with the 450 priests of Baal. Be like David when he stood alone to face Goliath. Be like Noah who stood alone in a godless culture. A man who God chose to be the father of the new world. A man who found favor in God's sight. A man who walked with God. He was most likely ridiculed for building the ark, especially since it had not rained before. Can you imagine what the people must have thought of Noah? My friends, if we're going to make a difference in our country, in our community, then we must stand up for what is right.
We must embrace the laws, the morals, and the ideals of God's word. Even when it's not popular in our culture, we must stand up for God, even in a godless society. Doing so will probably only become more difficult in the days ahead. We know that the Bible says in the last days, there are going to be perilous times. It's going to be difficult to stand for Christ, but we must stand Christians must seek to love their neighbors, pursue justice in the public square, including by working against abortion and promoting religious liberty, fostering, fostering racial justice, protecting the rule of law, and honoring the constitutional processes. I hope some of you hearing this message will accept the call and get involved in local politics. I hope some of you will volunteer in your local schools instead of just sitting back and pointing your finger that you'll actually go and get involved. Some of you may be called to run for state office or national office. We need men and women of faith to be the salt and light in the public arena. So I don't know your level of involvement. I just want you to, to see you committed in serving the Lord. I want to see you living a righteous life in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man. And then the third thing I encourage you to do today is to pray passionately, even when it seems the cause is lost. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. The faith and the prayers of the righteous leaders were the foundation of the Great Awakening. Before a meeting, George Whitfield would spend hours in prayer, some, night, some nights all night long praying before he would get up to preach. This is the kind of prayer that we need today. We need prayers for revival. For 50 years, we've been praying that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. 50 years almost. And thank the Lord, the era of baby killing is over. And Lord willing, it will stand that way. As followers of Christ, our focus must be on winning the hearts of the people, not simply trying to control the behaviors of the lost. When we reach the hearts with the gospel truth, then we can begin to see societal change. If you remember our opening proverb, it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. My friends, we are living in troubling times. Our great country is divided. The world stands perilously close to the brink of war. The global economy is fragile. Our food supply is in danger. These truly are perilous times. In times like these, followers of Christ must pray for God's wisdom, for his direction, for his protection. We need God's help in these difficult days. So I encourage you, pray for revival. Pray for the next great awakening. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our country. Pray for the church in America to wake up. Pray for East Naples. Pray for Collier County. And pray that Venture Church would spark a movement of God. And may it begin right here. Solomon said, Proverbs 15, 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So on this July 4th weekend, let's not take for granted the amazing freedoms that we enjoy. 
Let's not forget the godly heritage of our great country. And let's remember the words of Solomon when he said, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. I encourage you this July 4th weekend, celebrate. Celebrate the freedoms that we have. Rejoice in what God has done and make a decision to, to be a force of good, to get involved. And let's pray and let's work towards another great awakening. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for our great country. God, I pray that a spirit of revival would break out, that we would see a great awakening take place. God, it happened before and it can happen again. So God, we pray that you would use us, a small church, a small community, but God, great things can happen. It only takes a small spark to light a major fire. So God, would you do that? Lord, there may be people listening to this today that you're calling to get involved, to get involved in politics, to get involved in government, to get involved in their local community. God, may we not just simply hide in our homes and our buildings but may we get out there and be a force of righteousness. God, help us to make a difference. God, may your hand of blessing be upon this country. Maybe a, may a land of freedom for generations to come. May our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren inherit a country and a people who love God. who live their lives based on morals and values and ideals that come from your word. So God, we thank you. Thank you for this great country. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy. And may your hand of blessing be upon this country. And God, may you bless America. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.